0: Welcome back friends, Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. We left off with a series of healings and miracles, culminating with the pigs running down the hill and leaping into the Sea of Galilee and drowning. Jesus taught all throughout Galilee, 240 towns and villages in Galilee, and he traveled along to most of them. And along the way, he began attracting disciples. We have the core group, the inner circle of Peter, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Andrew will drop out of that circle after a while. But he needed other people as well. Disciples, those who would follow, those that he would shape and mold to take the message out to the world. Those who would hear him teaching, day after day, week after week, month after month, during his three-year public ministry. Jesus calls a select group to be his larger inner circle. So we begin now with chapter 9 at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed. A tax collector. Well, tax collectors were hated in Jesus' day in the land of Palestine. Hated. They were Jews who collected taxes to support the Roman government. The taxes were decided by a census, remember, in the Gospel according to Luke, when At the time of the census by Quirinius, a census would be taken and then a tax rate would be established to maintain roads, to maintain an army, to provide social services of various kinds. How do you know how much money you need if you don't know how many people there are? So a census, a periodic census would be taken and that lended itself to the town and government planning. But, to many people, the Romans were a military occupation of the land, and a Jew who would work for the Romans, collecting money from their fellow Jews to support the occupation, were hated. The chief tax collector We meet him later in the Gospels. A man named Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, the chief tax collector. Now think about this. If I were a Jew living at the time of Jesus, the chief tax collector was responsible for collecting taxes from the Jews for the Romans for the entire land. He was the big boss. But he couldn't, of course, do that by himself. He might come to Galilee and meet with me and say, I have a proposition for you. I have to give for each person in Galilee $50 in tax money to be sent to Rome. How do I collect that money? I hire people by region to collect from their region. And they, in turn, can hire people to collect from smaller regions. So, Matthew, I have a proposal for you. I need from you $50 per head at the first of the month every month. Now, you can charge what you want. I know you'll have expenses. I know you'll have to hire other people and so on. What do you say? I will pay you $100 per person. That's a lot of money. But if you take the job, you betray your fellow Jews, and you'll be hated. But then again, you'll make a lot of money. Matthew takes the offer. And Matthew will need people to work for him, and Matthew met with other people and said, I will pay you, uh I, I will pay you $25 per head. Or $125 per head. You see, it's a kind of pyramid scheme. You get people working for you, they collect more, you get more, and the more people you have working for you, the more money you make. Well, there was Matthew. Sitting at the tax collector's booth, the Via Maris, the main international trade route, ran from Egypt parallel to the Mediterranean, cut through the Jezreel Valley, right around the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and on up to Damascus. The main trade route. That's where Matthew collected taxes from the merchants using the road and from his fellow Jews. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew, in a trance, got up and followed him. No, I'll bet you anything Matthew had heard the Sermon on the Mount. He was in the crowd. He was right there. And Matthew began to think about this. What am I doing? I'm betraying my fellow Jews. I'm betraying myself am betraying any sense of honor that I ever had? Just to make, some, make more money? And for what? Oh, he had pondered this. And I'll bet Jesus kept an eye on him. Every time Jesus taught anywhere around the Sea of Galilee, Matthew would show up. And finally Jesus said, It's time. Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Notice, Jesus will never go to a total stranger and say something like that. He'll form a relationship with them first. Well, he had formed a relationship with Matthew, and now Matthew follows. Matthew, what will Matthew do? Oh, he writes our gospel. (laughs) Well, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, and it was a nice house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Who would come to dinner at Matthew's house except other tax collectors who worked for him or disreputable people who were sponging off of them? When the Pharisees saw this, they they said, "Why, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, pointing at them, but sinners. That would have been a scathing rebuke for the hypocritical Pharisees. Now look, Pharisees were not bad people. Judaism at this time was, well, As my friend Rabbi Michael Marison would say, when you get two Jews together, you have three opinions. But there were four basic groups of people within Judaism, the Pharisees, who emerged out of the Babylonian captivity. They're the people of the synagogue. They're ordinary people striving to live good, holy lives. The Sadducees were the wealthy elite in Jerusalem who had to do with the temple operations, the Essenes were rebellious. The Essenes looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, A plague on both your houses, you're both corrupt. And they left and went out into the desert areas like Qumran, where they lived rather quasi monastic lives, waiting for the coming of the righteous one and the end times. There was not just Qumran, there were other communities, there were town communities as well. But they separated themselves. They didn't want anything to do with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And then you had the Zealots. They were the political revolutionaries. They were the freedom fighters, if you will. If you were a Jew, many Jews looked at the Zealots as freedom fighters. The Romans looked at them as terrorists, which they were. But four basic divisions. The Pharisees, good people, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Peter, they were all Pharisees. Jesus doesn't criticize the Pharisees per se, but the dark underbelly of self-righteousness. You know, if you've been around the church for a while, you know some of those people who are oh so holy and righteous, oh so prim and proper, and are ready to point the finger at anyone who doesn't quite live up to what they think they should be. I know several of them, and I'm sure you do too. That's what Jesus criticizes, this self-righteousness. I didn't come to save the healthy. I've come to save sinners. Who were the sinners? Well, the tax collectors, the others who were around them. But more pointedly, I'll bet when Jesus said this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he points to them. I have not come to call the righteous, he points to the tax collectors, but you, the sinners. And then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? Now this is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who baptized him and initiated Jesus' public ministry. John, I think I mentioned at the time when we were looking at Jesus' baptism, I, I, I think John had a close relationship with the Essene community at Qumran, where John is baptizing in the Jordan River opposite Jericho. If you look south, you can see from where he's baptizing, the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea. And up on the right-hand side, the eastern side of the Dead Sea on a plateau, is Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were written, and where John may have been affiliated in one way or another with that thinking. After all, he was a pretty strange guy, lived in the wilderness, wore very rude clothing, camel's hair, and a leather belt, had a pouch with locusts in it, bit their heads off and ate them. And John had a distinctly apocalyptic view of history. I think John could have been part of that community. He was certainly influenced by their thinking. So his disciples were very ascetic. They fasted, they prayed, uh, they they were serious people. Now his disciples, John's disciples, came to Jesus up, up in Galilee and said, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast? Remember the three devotional pillars of Judaism? Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting? How is it that we fast, but your disciples don't? You know, they're, they're acting like libertines. And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they'll fast. Look, they have a job to do, and I'm teaching them to take over when I leave. on the bridegroom. They're my men, my guests. There'll be plenty of time for fasting, but not today. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the garment uh, will pull away from the garment, the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, the wineskins will ruin. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. That is, what I'm doing here is not simply fine-tuning points of Judaism. This is in something entirely of a magnitude of difference. It's not simply polishing up the old, cleaning up the old. It's transforming the old into something new. And these men will be my instruments for doing so. So while he was saying all this, a ruler came and knelt down before him and said, my, my daughter has just died. He's the synagogue leader, the archa A synagogue is ordered, uh, was structured much like a Presbyterian church of today, where you have an elected board of elders. And on that board, they elect a the chairman of the board. The chairman of the board is the Arcus Synagogus, the leader of the synagogue. It's typically on a rotating basis, but it's an important person in the community, one who would be elected to the board, one who would be elected president of the board. And this man came to Jesus and said, My daughter has just died. Come, put your hand on her and she'll live. The Arch of Synagogus, the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum, believed that Jesus could raise the dead. Do we have any examples of the dead being raised? Yes, we do. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, raised a dead child, a dead, a dead person. Elisha raised a dead person. The Arch of Synagogus, the synagogue leader, sees a parallel between Elijah, Elisha, and Jesus. That's elevating Jesus to a pretty darn high place. So Jesus got up and he went with him, and so did his disciples. Now, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, the on the fringes of his garment. Like the leper in Leviticus 13, a woman who is having her monthly cycle is ceremonially unclean during that time. She, other, Her husband cannot have sexual relations with her. No one can touch her until after she has finished her cycle and she goes through a ritual cleansing in the mikvah. That's what Bathsheba was doing in the story of David the king, he sees Bathsheba bathing. She's not taking a bath on the roof. She's immersing herself in a mikvah for her ceremonial cleansing because we're told that she had just finished having her period. Thus, the child conceived by David is David's, not Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. But that little note, that ritual cleansing. So here's a woman Who's been having bleeding, not for a few days, not for a monthly cycle, but for 12 years. She's had no relations with her husband. She's had no, no one has touched her. Anything she sat on became unclean. She was a pariah, an outcast in her own family, her own community. And she, I'll bet she had been there on the, on the Mount of Beatitudes and heard the teaching. All these people were meeting, were in that crowd, you can be sure. And this woman came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. That is, she got down on her hands and knees and took hold of the on the zit, the, the fringes. Jesus turned and saw her. She touched this man, a man that the of Synagogus elevated to the position equal with Elijah and Elisha. And she had the nerve to touch him. Jesus turned. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that very moment. Now, Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd, and he said, Go away, the girl's not dead, she's asleep. They laughed at him. They knew a dead person when they saw one. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand. She got up, and news of this spread all over Galilee. He raised a dead child. A 12-year-old girl who was literally dead. An old woman who was dead as a woman for 12 years. Notice how that story of the woman touching his the hem of his garment is sandwiched in between this story of Jairus and his daughter. Well, Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. and He asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news all over the whole region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. They said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Elijah and Elisha did some, there were great miracles associated with them, but nothing like this. The Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is demonic, they say. Well, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, 240 of them, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is training up workers. Right now, the disciples are being taught 240 towns and villages in Galilee. Teaching, preaching, healing, Raising the dead. No person can perform a miracle. Elijah, Elisha, none of them. No person can perform a miracle. Only God can perform a miracle. And if he chooses to perform that miracle through you, it suggests that you have a very intimate relationship with God. And the greater the miracle the more implied intimacy. And what could be more miraculous than the events we have just witnessed Wednesday and today here on Scripture Uncovered. So Jesus is training up his helpers and Monday he's going to send them out, give them a shot at it, see how they do, taking the message out to the world. That's where we'll put it on Monday. Great to be here with you. I always look forward to it. Thank you for being here with me. And uh, hey, we did start on uh, the featured course on our website, logosbiblestudy.com. We're doing a series on St. Paul. And I spent the first quarter, uh, first academic quarter in the fall, teaching the life and times of Paul, basically the book of Acts. Uh, Then we moved on to the early epistles, as we passed into the winter quarter, the early epistles. Now, normally, we go from Acts to Romans, 1st Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so on, in the canonical order. But I wanted to teach all, all 13, of Paul's epistles and letters, and do so in chronological order, so that we could see how Paul's thought developed across about 18 years. So, We started the prison epistles last week, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. That course sends out two lessons every week, and on Saturday morning from 10 to noon, we have a Zoom session for the class, where the people in class taking the course, we all get together on Zoom for two hours, and we talk about the lessons and Answer questions and talk about other things and uh, get to know each other. You know, during these COVID days for me, it's been terribly isolating. Sitting here in my study, uh, writing and doing podcasts and really not getting out of the house. I mean, before I was on the road all the time and uh, and traveling and doing our teaching tours and it's, it's we're we're coming up on a year of this and. The, the opportunity to teach a class like St. Paul the Apostle over multiple quarters and be able to meet with you personally online on Zoom every week. Well, that's great. And if you like, go to logosbiblestudy.com, click on the featured course, and I'll meet you on Zoom on Saturday mornings. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye now.